welcome to Two Boomer Women. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. I've been talking with Boomer women for almost a decade now. (laughs) Well, I guess I've been talking to Boomer women all my adult life. Uh, Reinventing myself several times along the way, though, but always focused on us, Boomer women. With this incarnation of Two Boomer Women, I'll be interviewing other women who have a message of interest for our demographic. If you want to hear about or learn about something specific, let me know and I'll find someone who understands us to talk about it. There's a contact page at twoboomerwomen.com. If you want to be a guest on Two Boomer Women, bring it on. There's an application form at the website, too. Finally, this show is all about conversation. We women know its value. We know how to do it and we must perpetuate the art form. So, let's get started with today's show. Welcome to the Two Women Women Podcast. I'm your host, Agnes Knowles. December already. Another year has disappeared, but my roster of great guests has not. My guest today talks about sugar. Now, I'm fortunate enough to be a savory over a sweet kind of person. I'll take a zippy salsa on a cracker over a brownie any day. But what I gather from many women I know, I may be in the minority. Now, Sue talks about sugar in a way that's easy for women to understand and relate to their own health. She keeps the message simple, provides practical steps that can be taken straight away to help break the sugar craving. And this, just in time for Christmas, you're welcome. Sue Thomas, welcome to the Two Boomer Women podcast. Oh, thank you, Agnes. It's lovely to be here. Yeah, this is very timely. It is, really is. (laughs) I'm hoping you'll share your story with us first. You were fit and healthy for the longest time until things went sideways in your 40s. And then you were healthy again in your 50s. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we take if I take you back to I've been in the wellness industry for about 20 years and um, I was a personal trainer. I had my own business as a personal trainer. And um, back in uh, 2008, I had a, a, a knee infection. It was a streptococcal knee infection. It was pretty horrible. I didn't realize quite how bad it was. I went up to the hospital because it was really starting to kind of um, mess up my day, if you like. And they said, we want to keep you in. We need to give you intravenous antibiotics. So fast forward uh, four years from that point, and I was still personal training, but I was having to take a sleep in the afternoon because I was exhausted all the time. I was eating rubbish just to keep me going through the course of the day. Um, I wasn't really present for my clients. I wasn't present for my family. And I wasn't taking care of myself. And I am someone who really does believe in walking the talk. I need to set an example or I needed to set an example to my clients then as to, um, you know, the kind of life that they could lead. Uh, I wanted them to look at me and go, you're an inspiration. I want to follow your lead. And I wasn't that person. I was, as I said, sleeping in the afternoon. I was eating rubbish just to try and keep my energy levels up and, I took one look at myself and I thought something has got to change here. I'm, I, you know, food was going through me really quickly. I wasn't digesting properly that all these sort of things were happening. So I started to explore a little bit about my microbiome and understand really about how um, my intestine had been uh, affected by the antibiotics and really started to understand how I needed to uh, begin to change what I was doing and the way I was eating in order to heal my body. And I started to take some really simple steps. So those steps included, one of the things that included was removing bread from my diet to start with. So I call that beige when I talk to my clients. 
Um, not because I needed to avoid gluten, but because I was finding that the, 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 the eating the bread at lunchtime was causing me to have a bit of a, a crash in the afternoon, which meant I was then eating sugar to try and pick me back up again so that I could work with my clients in the evening. And so I started to make some really simple changes. One of the things I did was remove bread. The other thing I did was start to really remove the sugar from my diet as well. And that was the point at which I, because to begin with, I was like, how can I function if I don't have sugar? And if I don't have bread, how am I going to have my energy? And then I realized just how much more energy I had when I was eating meals that didn't involve carbohydrates and I wasn't having then to snack on sugar between meals my energy levels rose really quickly and I started to then you know when your energy levels rise you can start to pay attention to other areas of your life as well and start to I started to improve my exercise again and all sorts of things and gradually over the course of um, probably nine months to a year I really started to get my health back on track again and started to be an example to my clients again And that's where I started, really, in terms of becoming the sugar free coach, because I just understood that most so many women are in the same situation. We're given these messages around, you know, complex carbohydrates and eating your bread or eating your pasta. But all these are doing are causing us to have morning slumps, afternoon slumps. And we're then reaching for sugar, which is aggravating the problem even further. And so one of the things I'm really passionate about is helping my clients to understand that actually the first thing you do in the morning is key to the rest of the day. The first thing you eat is key to the rest of the day. And if you can get that right, that has a knock on effect to all the other choices you make through the rest of the day. And that then frees us from constantly feeling like we've got a calorie count or, or, you know, uh, not or restrict ourselves and that kind of thing. And if we can free our mind away from restriction and away from that feeling calorie counting and stuff, we can really begin to manage our weight, manage our hormones, sleep better, feel more confident in our clothes, and just gradually really begin to become the person that we want to become when we're in our 50s. And that's where I am now in my 50s. And I'm the person that I want to be now because I've got control of my food. I know exactly what I need to eat to nourish myself. And, um, you know, I just I'm wanting to I'm setting that example as much as possible. And interestingly enough, I retrained as a a nutritional therapist about six years ago as a result of healing myself. I just thought, actually, what I need to do now is is go out and share that message with as many women as possible. Okay, a lot of what you've just said, we will probably be revisiting through the conversation. But the one thing I one phrase that you zinged through really fast that I want to bring back is it took about nine months to a year because you know, these people that say, I mean, we're mid-December when this goes to air and, you know, you're not going to be slim and gorgeous by Valentine's Day. You know, no. it's 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 a long-term vision. Yeah, totally. And often it's taken a long, a long period of time to get you to that point where you think, I really need to make some changes now. It took me four years to get to that point. It's not going to take me 10 minutes to get back to where I wanted to be. You know, I've got, it's got to be, a consistent approach and consistent I was consistent and persistent that's those are the words I always use I was consistent and persistent every day because I knew I needed to get back to being that person that my clients were inspired by basically and so I use again use that with all of my clients in terms of helping them to set a goal of where they want to be a realistic goal of where they want to be how do they want to feel what does it feel like to I don't know, put that dress on and go to that wedding and feel fantastic or what have you and start to create some emotion around uh, the actions that we're taking as well because it's so much easier to 
achieve the results that we're looking for if we if we we know where we're going and we've got some emotion attached to it right and and two things that i tend to say to people is you know if it took you 10 years to put on those 20 pounds you know, if you can take those off in a year or two, then, hey, that's a pretty good turnaround time. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And then the other thing that, I mean, you read varying numbers, but I guess the one that stuck in my mind was the fact that it takes uh, 12 weeks approximately to start to develop a new habit. So mm-hmm. if you're trying to get rid of the sugar habit and develop a healthier habit, you know, once again, it's not going to happen in, in six weeks, a, a minimum of 12 weeks. And the longer you can stick with it the more it is just an ingrained habit yeah and I think as well one of the reasons why when we try to remove sugar from our diet one of the reasons why we struggle with it is because it takes 10 10 days to two weeks to really start to get insulin to come under control to be more balanced so insulin is the hormone that's released when we consume sugar and it's designed to pick up sugar from our bloodstream take it to the cells for energy production and if we don't use it for energy, then the insulin takes that sugar to, well, the glucose is converted it to glucose and takes it either to the muscles or to the liver for storage. And if the liver can't cope with it, then it turns it into triglycerides and stores it as fat, basically. And it takes about 10 days to two weeks for if our insulin is on a big roller coaster, so it's peaking and troughing throughout the course of the day, for insulin to come back under control to be that point where it's really balanced. And so many people go into a kind of health regime or what have you, and they get to kind of day four or day five, and it just feels too hard. They're exhausted, they might have a headache, they can't do it. They feel like, you know, their their brain's saying, go on, eat some sugar, eat some sugar. And so they give in. And actually, if they'd push through that to kind of day seven, day eight, they'd actually find that they start to they get their insulin more under control. And that means that they can control their snacking better. And so they're not not constantly thinking about the next meal or roaming around the kitchen trying to find something sugary that's not going to disrupt the calorie count and all that kind of thing. So, so yeah, I think I agree with you. It's 12 weeks to to really change that habit. But actually, if we can push through the first 10 10 days to 14 days, that's a huge step forward. And once we've done that, then we can begin to make some progress around managing bloating, improving our sleep, managing our weight better, et cetera, et cetera, and changing those habits. But it's getting through those first 10 days that are crucial. That's good to know, too, because as you said, you know, if you're getting that headache or the lethargy or something and it's just like, well, this isn't working for me. That's such an easy response. Mm -hmm. Whereas to say, okay, this is this is the trough. Mm -hmm. I know I need to get through the trough to come out on the other side and it's only a matter of days it's only a matter of days exactly exactly um and if you can if you can really just push through that and go i'm i'm determined to do this so i'm pushing all the way through and coming out the other side the the how much better you will feel about yourself is is quite incredible when i take women i have a seven day sugar-free challenge when i take women through that challenge they get to the end of it going i can't believe that i don't need to snack because they thought for so long that they needed to snack and if we can get your blood sugars balanced, you don't need to snack between meals. You can go from one meal to the next without that that need for snack because your blood sugar is so nicely balanced. You're not having peaks and troughs. And it's the troughs where we feel like we need to have the, the biscuit with our coffee or, you know, the bar of chocolate or the can of Coke or what have you. Right. Now, I, I always come with questions, but you keep on mentioning insulin. Yeah. We've all heard of diabetes. What other health implications are there in a with a high sugar diet? Oh, so massive. Okay, so 
<laughs> Let's start with, okay, so I've mentioned insulin is the blood sugar hormone. It's released from our pancreas, which sits just down behind the liver. And it is designed, as I said before, to pick up sugar and take it to the cells for energy production. Now, over time, if we're continuing to eat lots of sugar, insulin will start to rise quite high in the system. That's a stress on the system in itself. Okay, but the other thing that happens when we consume sugar is when it's metabolized to create glucose, which is what we function on. That's the energy source that we function on when it's metabolized to create glucose. If our glucose is coming specifically from sugar, so the beige carbohydrates, the white carbohydrates, I I talk about kind of glucose spectrum, if you like. You've got kind of reds, greens and oranges on one end of the spectrum and then beige and white on the other end of the spectrum. And any process your body goes through to create the glucose for energy production also has side effects, also has um, side uh, molecules that are produced that can be quite detrimental to the body. They can start to cause inflammation in the body. Now, if we're getting our carbohydrates from the reds, the greens and the oranges, so, you know, fruits and vegetables, those those substances contain something called antioxidants, which neutralize those those, uh, molecules that are created by the metabolic process of of accessing glucose. So they neutralize um, what's called free radicals that cause the inflammation. But if we're getting our glucose sources from beige and whites, they don't contain antioxidants. They don't contain the things that essentially prevent that inflammation from happening. So if you're getting your your majority of carbohydrate, your glucose from beiges and whites, that's essentially heating up the body. It's it's causing inflammation and causing the body to heat up. And that's a, a huge stress on the body. And the first um, sort of forms of inflammation that you might see might be a little bit of joint pain. You might have a little bit of lower immunity. You might not be able to get through colds as quickly as everybody else does. Or if there's something going around the office, you always pick it up, that kind of thing. It's harder to deal with stress if there's stress going on in the office or, you know, if there's family issues and that kind of thing. Stress becomes harder to deal with. And this inflammation is starting to cause this internal stress. Now, with that internal stress, We are releasing a hormone called cortisol and cortisol is is very, again, very, very important for the body. But if it rises too high in the system, it can become toxic, just like insulin can. And that cortisol can disrupt the health of our intestine, the health of our gut bacteria. So lots of people who consume sugar on a regular basis will notice things like bloating and things like that. And that's all linked to the amount of cortisol we have in our system and how much it's disrupting the gut bacteria. Now, our gut bacteria love us like no other person and want the best for us. But if cortisol is high in the system, cortisol just causes that bacteria to die back. And then we have a lot of the bad bacteria beginning to grow. We have kind of holes beginning to form in the in the barrier that that gut bacteria should form around the wall of our intestine. And that allows things to pass across that shouldn't be passing across. And that then can can lead to um, an immune response, which raises our immune system even further. And we start to go into a sort of autoimmune response where our body starts to attack itself. So not only have we got inflammation from the metabolic process that we go through to access the glucose, which is kind of speeding up the aging process for us, heating up our body. It can also think, do things like stiffening the arteries and causing a bit of cardiovascular disease and stuff like that and type 2 diabetes. We've also then got this disruption to the intestine, which is 
means that things are passing across the gut wall that shouldn't be and the body has an an immune response which creates autoimmunity so things like chronic fatigue fibromyalgia sjogren syndrome all of these can be linked to to the health of our gut wall not working properly which is due to the amount of cortisol in our system and that amount of cortisol is due to the amount of inflammation that's going on because of the way the carbohydrate we're using is processed and is not neutralized by those anti- antioxidants. So the more we're getting carbohydrate from beiges and whites, that's heating our body up, is causing all sorts of issues. It's stiffening our arteries. It's having an impact on our brain function. It's having an impact on our sleep. Sugar and that inflammation has a huge impact on the right balance of hormones to allow us to go into a deep quality sleep as well. And sleep is super important for our long-term well-being. So we've got all these issues going on from getting our carbohydrate from beige and white sources. If we get our carbohydrate from greens and reds and oranges, with all those antioxidants, we can reduce that inflammation, we can reduce that stress, we can support our gut bacteria, and we can be full of energy. Our hormones will be really nicely balanced, we'll sleep really well every night, and we'll just feel so much better about ourselves. And, you know, we talk about a low carb diet. When we talk about a low carb diet, what that means is we're cutting out processed carbs, basically, because vegetables, fibrous vegetables are carbohydrate. And that's where we should be getting all our glucose from and all our energy um, on a on a on a regular basis, at least 90 percent of the time, I would say. (laughs) Everybody knows I come with notes and I think you've just zinged through about six questions there. That's great. One thing that I do want you to emphasize, I think so many people think of carbohydrates as your breads, your sugars, your pasta, that sort of thing. But it's so important to know that there is this whole other massive great area of carbohydrate that is healthy and good for us and Mm -hmm. does all the good stuff. And still gives us loads of energy because, you know, when I and I was exactly in this position when I when I just realized I needed to start and remove bread from my diet, I was like, how am I going to get my energy for the afternoon to change my chain my clients if I don't have a sandwich at lunchtime? And I was blown away by how much more energy I had when I was having a salad with loads of protein on it than when I was having the same salad with with you know halloumi in it or something like that, but with bread. When I had it with bread, it crashed my blood sugar levels. When I had it without bread, I had energy for the rest of the afternoon, and I was just gobsmacked by what a difference it made to my energy levels on a daily basis. So is our sugar addiction then a physical addiction or a a psychological addiction? Well, I think there's two routes to it there, because obviously when we consume sugar, we release a little bit of dopamine, which is the neurotransmitter that tells us uh, that felt quite good. I quite liked that. I quite like a bit more. That's why we kind of call it comfort food, don't we? Because it makes us feel good. And if we want something to lift us up, we often reach for sugary foods. When we were younger, we might have fallen over and Parents might have said, oh, here, make it better, have a lollipop or whatever. It was always sugar related. So there is definitely a psychological association with sugar making us feel better or sugar being the thing that we can reward ourselves with. So there is that that psychological association with it. Um, But very much it is a physical thing because, you know, when your when your blood sugars rise quickly in the system and insulin is released quickly in the system, as quickly as insulin is released, it will take sugars out of the bloodstream as just as quickly. And so you'll have a very quick crash in blood sugars. And when you go into that hypoglycemic state where your blood sugars are low, because your brain functions on glucose, 
it's receiving the message that blood sugars are low. We need to eat something and we need to eat something quickly. And so we reach for something sugary because it's going to be the thing that allows us to pick our blood sugars back up really quickly. And so we have another spike in blood sugars, which which then is the same again, another crash, because as quickly as the insulin has been released, it's quickly removing the sugar. Another crash where we're then going, I need to eat something sugary because, you know, I've, my blood sugars are low. Uh, and so we're on this roller coaster throughout the day. So it's a, a there's a physical element to it as well as a psychological element. I think the psychological element is it's a comfort, it's a reward, it's what I do to make myself feel better. Um, and on the physical side, it is completely related to our hormones and how they are working in, and how they're interacting with each other. And if we can, as I say, insulin is a really dominant hormone. And if we can get that under control, it's kind of the panacea to so many other things and getting our blood, our cravings under control as well. So correct me if I'm wrong, uh, us mid-age women who are menopausal, postmenopausal, because our hormones are already doing a whole bunch of things on their own to start messing around with like a high simple carbohydrate diet is just adding fuel to the fire is it yeah totally and also because our liver is the main uh, source of kind of glycogen storage when we when we consume sugar and if the cells won't take the 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 sugar for energy production that's the insulin takes the 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 glycogen or the glucose to the the liver and stores it as glycogen now our liver is crucial our healthy functioning liver is crucial for hormone balance and for being able to manage our menopause as naturally as possible but if it's overloaded with glycogen it becomes what's known as sluggish um, and that has a consequence. I mean, a sluggish liver can have an Im- impact on our sleep. It can have an impact on our emotions and how we feel. But most importantly, it has an impact on how effectively we are, how effective we are at producing the right balance of hormones to get us through menopause naturally. So we want to give our liver as much TLC as possible. But if we're continually eating sugar, it's going to be continually putting pressure on the liver. The liver has about 500 different functions to play in the body. And if it's having to continually manage glycogen levels and store glycogen it's going to deregulate it's going to downgrade the the importance of creating the right raw materials for our hormones and so by consuming a high sugar diet we are essentially making our menopause symptoms worse okay and listeners for those of you who caught a couple of keywords there if you're in a grouchy, hard to get along with mood, you're not allowed to say, oh, my liver's being a bit of a slug today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you can't use it as an excuse. (laughs) I just, I love that sluggish because you sort of think of a, you know, slug plod plodding along. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Now, the sugar can be found in some fairly unlikely places, like, you know, in the grocery store. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, so if you look at like something like tomato sauce, Heinz tomato sauce, do you have that in Canada? Yes. Uh, Heinz tomato sauce, it's about just under half sugar. I mean, it's frightening when you see the image of how much sugar is in it. But you never think of something like tomato sauce as having sugar in it, do you? And then you've got things like, you know, the whole um, diet drinks thing or low sugar. So low sugar will always have additives in it additives usually chemical additives to give it the sweetness so low sugar don't be fooled by thinking that that's okay because first of all the chemical additives have to be processed by some one of the organs and usually that well that is the liver 
And if the liver is already struggling to kind of process the glycogen, um, adding chemical additives into it is a, is, a, is going to put even more pressure on it. Uh, but the other thing as well is whenever you take something sweet on your tongue, the message is always sent to the to the um, to the pancreas to start releasing insulin. And if insulin is that really dominant hormone and it's it's going to control other things in the system, then you're just messing up your blood sugars even further by going for the kind of low sugar or the sugar free or whatever it is option. And then you've got things like low-fat yogurts. Um, this for me, oh my goodness, <laughs> low-fat anything, low-fat anything. Yeah. So if you take out a food group, if you take out fat from a from a substance from a food, you've got to replace it with something. Otherwise, it tastes disgusting. And so they replace it with sugar. And so if you look at the kind of low-fat uh, options there are. There are always on the on the um, you know on the nutrition label is always got more sugar than it should have in it. So a really good rule of thumb is if it's added sugar, it will be more than six grams of added sugar per hundred grams, or six grams of sugar per hundred grams. So on your nutrition label, where it says carbohydrates of which sugar, it should be less than six grams per hundred grams. But the food industry is really clever in that it will. Uh, say per portion so it makes it look like th- there's less than six grams in there so it might be per portion which is 30 grams but it's only got five grams of sugar in it but actually if you multiply that by three you've got at least 15 16 grams of sugar in there so so we have to be a little bit savvy around nutrition labels to see how much added sugar is in there um, and that's the first thing so whenever you're reaching for a product always check the nutrition label and make sure that it says per 100 grams. It should be less than six grams because then it will be naturally occurring sugar. As far as sort of low fat anything is concerned, um, just avoid it. it. We should be consuming good quality fats anyway, because good quality fats are really good for and healthy for our liver. So but obviously the reason why the food industry has kind of gone down that low fat route is because per gram of fat there's nine calories per gram of sugar or glucose or carbohydrate there's four calories so you can create something on a much you know have much lower calories in it than if you take the fat out and just add more sugar so but actually that's causing a problem because when we consume foods that are yes might only have 99 calories in them but if that's got sugar in it, it's going to spike our blood sugars and crash. And we're going to end up eating more throughout the day than we realize. Or we're just going to make ourselves miserable because we just feel constantly hungry all the time. So we're better off going for the, the full fat stuff, filling our boots with the full fat stuff, keeping our insulin really nicely balanced. And then not having to worry about how much we've eaten for the rest of the day because it's going to keep up keep our blood sugars really well balanced and we won't even think about what else we need to eat because fat doesn't have a relationship with insulin and i'm not suggesting here for one minute that we start feeding our faces with you know kind of cream donuts and things like that what i'm talking about are good quality fats in full fat yogurt for example avocado seeds nuts oily fish all those kind of things that will that will keep our blood sugars good quality proteins that will keep our blood sugars really nicely balanced give us the kind of good fats that we need to help with hormone balance um to help with skin you know kind of how our skin is how our neurotransmitters and our sorry the um synapses in our brain and how they're connected all of those need good quality fats so if we remind ourselves actually that eating a full fat yogurt is better for our brain health and for our hormone balance than eating a low fat yogurt is 
um, then we can kind of shift away from thinking about calories all the time and thinking about counting those calories and move towards health and well-being and how we feel. Sorry, that was a quite a circuitous route to get to where is sugar update, isn't it? <laughs> no, it's great because I used to do grocery store tours for a local grocery chain. And, you know, I, I always recommend to people, and you probably do the same, is when you're learning you take the extra half hour, even an hour, and you start reading the labels, you yeah. know, that sort of thing. And mm-hmm. in terms of fat, you know, like if you're having what I'll call a, a fun fat, like a mayonnaise or something, you know that's fat, so you moderate it. Whereas yeah. you, you think, oh, it's low fat, I can have more. Yeah. And no, just stick with the original. Then you don't have yeah. the sugar, and you also know that you need to moderate it. Yeah, yeah. Sort of and if you go with the low fat, and you think, "Oh, it's low fat, I can have more," you end up having more sugar, so you end up sending yourself on even more of a blood sugar roller coaster. Yeah, yeah. And I loved what you said about the yogurt too, because you know, if you have a, a small bowl of a full fat, tasty yogurt, you you do feel full, yeah, as opposed yeah. to a low fat full of sugar, and then you're eating a whole cup full and going like, oh, maybe yeah. I'll just go back to the fridge now. <laughs> yeah, I need a bit more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How do we break the addiction? I mean, I know you, you've told us that we got to get through that four or five day period, but uh, where do we start? Okay, so the first thing to do is to think about what you're eating for breakfast. What the what what you the first thing you eat because not everybody wants to have breakfast, and that's okay. That's not a problem. But in first thing in the morning, your stomach is full of hydrochloric acid. Now, hydrochloric acid is designed to break down carb uh, protein. It's not designed to break down carbohydrate. And in the Western world, we have carbohydrate laden breakfasts with toast and cereal and all that kind of thing. And all that happens then is that that carbohydrate is broken down really quickly in that hydrochloric acid and it releases the the glucose into our bloodstream really quickly. And so we have a quick spike of insulin. The insulin picks it up, takes it to the cells. The cells don't need it because we might be sitting in the car driving to work or whatever. And so we have that crash and by 10.30 we're hungry. But if you can focus on having a protein-based breakfast, and I challenge my clients to do this, I say have two boiled eggs for breakfast rather than two Weetabix and see if the two boiled eggs keep you going till one o'clock because I bet they do. Because if you can just have a protein-based breakfast, you will, you'll be able to keep your blood sugars balanced all morning. So before you even know where you are, you'll be at one o'clock and you haven't even thought about food because you've, you've, you're releasing, you're releasing the glucose that the body manufactures from the protein much more slowly. So if you can start the day right, that's the first thing to do is to get the right breakfast for you. Now everybody's different because Some people can eat, you know, a protein based breakfast. Let's say they can eat yogurt and seeds and nuts and some fruit compote and that will keep them going till lunchtime. But the next person might eat that and find themselves really hungry by 1030. Um, So you've got to really work out for you what is a good protein based breakfast. You know, you might go with two boiled eggs, avocado and spinach, but you might not be a savory breakfast person. You might prefer a sweet breakfast. I, I, I personally often don't eat till about half past 10, 11 o'clock. Um, but I, I really like corn cakes with nut butter and a banana on. Now, I find that keeps me going for ages. But the next person could eat that and find that the sugars from the banana just spike their blood sugars really quickly. So everybody's different. We've got to work out 
what's going to work for us to keep us going. We should be able to go for four to five hours from one meal to the next without needing to snack. If you can do that, that shows your blood sugars are really nicely balanced. Some people like a green smoothie with lots of protein in it, like in the form of yogurt and, you know, all sorts of things, chia seeds, stuff like that. That will keep the next person going for hours, but somebody else might have it. And again, find themselves hungry by 10.30. So rather than thinking there's a one size fits all here, let's just start listening to what our body's telling us. And if our body is saying after two and a half hours of eating something, I'm hungry, then it didn't work to balance our blood sugars. So the first thing I would say is, Really start to get to grips with your breakfast and how does your breakfast make you feel? Someone could have a bowl of porridge with some seeds and nuts on and that could keep them going till one o'clock and the next person could be hungry by 10.30. So you you have to work out what's right for you. But if you focus on a protein-based breakfast, that is the first step to getting your blood sugars balanced. And you'll make a much better choice at lunchtime if you've had balanced blood sugars through the course of the morning than you will if you've had a spike and a trough so by the time you get to lunchtime, you're in another trough and you're making a choice around, you know, just getting as much glucose into you as quickly as possible. So that's always the first place I tell my clients is to to think about, you know, what are you having for breakfast that is going to allow you to get from one meal to the next? And then the second thing that you can do as well is to try and move for about 10 minutes after you've eaten. Because one of the things we do is sit at our desks, don't we, eat whatever it is, and then just carry on working. Actually, if you can move for 10 minutes, that starts to use up some of that that insulin, some of that energy that's produced, and the insulin can take the um, the, uh, sugars to the cells for energy production. And we can begin again to balance our blood sugars much better, balance our insulin levels much better. Um, And then the third thing I would suggest people try and do is try and eat by seven o'clock. So there's three really simple things that you can begin to implement on a day-to-day basis. The first is to have that protein. First thing, well, first thing you eat should be protein-based. The second thing you can do is to move for 10 minutes after you've eaten because that uses up the sugars and helps to remove, you know, gets the insulin, taking the sugars to the cells rather than just taking sugars to the the liver and having a a blood glucose crash. And then the third thing is to try and eat by seven o'clock. And the reason for this is, when we eat, obviously, our insulin levels do rise, depending on what we've eaten. Some people, they rise more than others. You know, if it's a really carbohydrate-based meal, or pasta-based meal, then it will rise quicker than if someone's eating, you know, a salmon with, with, with spinach and broccoli, for example. But when we eat, our insulin levels rise, and it takes about three hours for them to come back under control or to come back down again. Now, before we go to bed at night, we should be going to bed about 10 o'clock. Um, because our natural circadian rhythms want us to have a, a, a 90 minute sleep cycle before midnight. And so if we're going to bed at 10 o'clock, if we've eaten at nine, we've still got quite high insulin levels in the system. If we've eaten at seven, our insulin levels are naturally coming down. Now, if insulin is lower in the system, the body can naturally release growth hormone, which is a hormone that helps us to go into deep sleep. If our insulin is high in the system, Insulin being that dominant hormone affects the body's ability to be able to produce growth hormone. And so we can't go into that deep quality sleep that we need before midnight. And that has a knock on effect to the rest of our sleep cycles through the course of the night. And there's lots of research now to show that if your sleep is compromised, if you're not getting that sort of six and a half to seven hours sleep of deep quality sleep a night, it can really dysregulate your insulin. It can cause your insulin to go all over the place. And that can have a knock-on effect to our insulin balance the next day. Our insulin can be too high in the system. We can end up eating more 
we end up eating about 500 more calories the following day if we've had a bad night's sleep. And that all is related to the time at which we've eaten. So, and I do speak to some clients, they say, I simply can't eat at seven by seven o'clock because there's too many other things going on. And I say to them, well, can you shift it so that you are eating more at lunchtime and having a lighter meal, a lighter sort of salad and protein based meal in the evening or soup or something like that, so that your insulin isn't as as high in the system as it would be if you were eating a full blown meal. And I think that's a way that you can get around it. You can get around it a little bit by moving after you've eaten in the evening as well. But in an ideal world, we would be looking at what time am I eating in the evening and can I bring that back to seven o'clock so that I can improve my sleep, which will have a knock on effect to tomorrow's choices because my insulin will be under better under control. So those are three really simple things that someone could do. Start to look at their lifestyle and go, can I how can I swap, change my breakfast out to make it more protein based? How can I move for 10 minutes? Even if you're in the office, even if it's just going up and down the stairs to the toilet, you know, for 10 minutes to come back down to your desk again. Um, that's better than not moving at all. Uh, and then can I eat earlier in the evening so that my insulin is beginning to come under control by the time I go to bed? You've come to us with an English accent. <laughs> what you just reminded me of is I used to spend my summers in England with my auntie on her farm. And at midday, we always had a big meal. Yeah. And and that was our, our meal of the day. I mean, we'd have the other meals as well. But And then, of course, tea time, five o'clock, was the skinniest piece of bread that you've ever seen. She was proud of how skinny she could slice it. <laughs> a slather of butter. Um, a bit of maybe ham and tomato and things like just a little bit. And yeah, yeah and it, yeah. obviously that was the healthy way to do it. And we've come so yeah. far from those days. Yeah, yeah, we really have. We've become, we've been fed for so long. This kind of, you need to eat constantly, you need to eat six meals a day and all this kind of thing. Actually, it's the worst thing you can do from an insulin balance point of view. And insulin is such a toxic hormone if it rises too high in the system. So, you know, our focus absolutely needs to be around getting our insulin under control and there you go you know having that skinny bit of bread with your with your with your with your protein and your your carbohydrate in the form of tomato and stuff like that at five o'clock you might have had another you know a little light snack before you went to bed but it wouldn't have impacted your insulin levels to the point that it would then have affected your sleep and because you're so busy doing the moving so much during the course of the day as well you would naturally be more exhausted so you would sleep better But now because we're more sedentary, because we eat kind of constantly throughout the day, um, because we're eating later into the evening, all those kind of things, it's just having such an impact on our sleep. And it means that our blood sugars can never properly sort of reset themselves. And that's what we want to do. We need to reset our blood sugars through the course of the night. And if we can't do that, we end up eating more the next day. I want to revisit breakfast for a moment, too, because so many people on the go they don't take time for breakfast and so en route to wherever they're going I mean whether it's to work or to babysit the grandchildren or whatever they stop at their corner um, coffee shop and they Mm -hmm. will buy you know the extra large double latte whatever they're called and then also a big donut or a danish or something like that and they call that breakfast yeah yeah Mm -hmm. so I say to that and in fact, I was speaking to a lady today who had exactly that problem. You know, she wouldn't eat breakfast. She'd go into work and she'd get to half 12 and be starving. So she'd go to the coffee shop, she'd get a big cup of coffee and she'd always pick up a, you know, a, a, a muffin or what have it, what have you. 
And I said to her, well, can we, can we swap it? Can we shift it on its head? Can you, the night before, can you make up a green smoothie? So you're, you've, you've got, you know, some protein. It could be a protein powder. It could be full fat yogurt. It could be chia seeds, whatever. And we've got some vegetables in there. So we put spinach and we put carrot and we put pear in there to give it a little bit of sweetness. She put a couple of tablespoons of full fat Greek yogurt and some chia seeds in there. And I said, just drink that on your way to work. You're driving to work. Drink it whilst you're driving. You know, you don't have to sit down and eat it, but you're in whilst you're in the car, just drink that green smoothie. Because that bit of protein first thing in the morning will not only nourish your body, but will mean that you'll be able to make a much better choice when you go out to buy your lunch and you'll end up going to somewhere and buying a salad rather than going into the coffee shop and getting because your blood sugars have crashed or dropped so quickly. She's reaching for something that is going to give her sugar in her bloodstream as quickly as possible because her brain has gone. There's no sugar. We need some sugar. Just eat some glucose as quickly as possible. And so she's reached for the muffin. And what that has done then is that's having a knock on effect to the choices that she makes throughout the rest of the day. So just having you know, trying to find those simple ways of getting around not having breakfast. So having a green smoothie like that with some protein in is, is ideal. Cooking up a couple of boiled eggs. And taking them, I think boiled eggs are fantastic because they're like in their own wrapper. Um, you know, you can just take them in a little pot and just crack them and just eat them like a little snack. Or if you, again, if you're driving in the car, you could eat you could eat it as a snack if it's already uh, unwrapped. So there's loads of simple things that you can do to help yourself. But unfortunately, we get into a bit of a rhythm, don't we? We get into this routine or this groove where, oh, I haven't had any breakfast, so I'll just go to the the coffee shop and get get the you know the kind of 900 calorie um, uh, latte or whatever it is with all the other bits and pieces on the side. And that just spikes your blood sugars. Fuel through the roof they are. And then for the rest of the day, you're making choices completely determined by your insulin, not determined by your logical brain because your insulin is controlling when you know, insulin crashes and that's communicating with your brain going, we need to eat more sugar. And so you're just on this roller coaster all day. And when you understand how insulin has an impact on your, on the stiffness of your arteries, on your liver's ability to function and therefore your cholesterol, because cholesterol comes from the liver, you know, all of these things that so we don't connect the dots to go, actually, if I've got my insulin under control, I could begin to reduce the stiffness of my arteries. I could begin to reduce my blood pressure. I could begin to improve my liver function, which means I would begin to improve my, um, you know, cholesterol levels. Non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, which is a disease of the liver that impacts so many elements of our health, is totally related to how much sugar we're consuming, not related to alcohol anymore. You know, it used to be that um, fatty liver disease was associated with consuming too much alcohol. Now it's consuming too much sugar in general. You know, if you've got, as I said, a sluggish liver, that's going to push your cholesterol levels up. You know, there's so many things that we can unpick and take back to too much glucose, too much insulin in the system. And when we understand that, we can really begin to kind of manage and control our choices around food so that that has a knock on effect to our longevity. That's what it comes down to at the end of the day is our longevity. Yeah. And to take this totally 
into another ballpark, this may be the, t- the right time to have this conversation and, and have you make these suggestions because the latte and the muffin at your corner coffee shop has just recently gone from $8 through to 12 to $14. Yeah, yeah. You know, so if you can, I mean, how much would boiling up two eggs last night uh, mm. cost you? Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, people say I don't have the time. Well, you've also mentioned longevity. Do you not have five to 10 minutes in a day to make sure you have a quality life and a mm. longer life? Mm. And also I say, you know, when you, when you nourish yourself properly and reduce that inflammation in your system, I said at the beginning, you know, it's harder to deal with stress when your body's inflamed internally and you've got stress going on internally. So if you get that inflammation under control, you get that stress internally under control you buy back time, essentially. Not only do you buy back time from a, physically from a longevity point of view, but also here in the here and now, because you've got more energy, you can feel like creating things. You kind of, you're not falling on the sofa at the end of the day because you're so exhausted. You've got time to go, right, what do I need tomorrow? Actually, if I make myself a smoothie now, I've got that for tomorrow morning and I can put myself a salad together for lunch. And that's two really, really good meals. And then I can make sure I've got something in the freezer for tea in the evening. You, you do have more time when your body is properly nourished because you've got more energy. So you fill your time more effectively. And that has a knock on effect to your kind of how you're able to, to create food, the right foods and the right meals for you to keep your energy levels high. I was in that place, you know, when I when I was struggling after the four years, four years after the antibiotics, I was eating for the you know, I was eating for, for, for ease. Um, I wasn't eating to nourish my body. And that is a vicious circle because you just then don't have the time to create nourishing meals, which means you still reach for rubbish and it just keeps on carrying on from there. So if you can break that cycle, even one day, you will notice at the end of the day how much energy, how much more energy you've got. And if you can keep doing that day after day after day and be consistent and persistent with it, you will then start to really reap the rewards as far as your long term health is concerned. Well, just like, you know, it, it's a downward spiral into mm. lethargy and, and bad habits and poor health. Mm. It, the opposite can be true where, you know, if your brain's getting the, the, the nourishment it needs and you're adding a little bit more exercise or something, so you're getting a little bit more energy all, all around, you then maybe have the vitality and the renewed interest in you know, going online and finding some interesting recipes or trying yeah. a new food at the grocery store, that sort of thing. Yeah, um, yeah and totally. that spiral goes up. Yeah, yeah, completely and utterly. And, and that's empowering. You feel really empowered when you're in that place where you've got all that energy. You kind of go, I can make all these choices. I can go to the gym. I can go for a walk after I get in from work in the evening, et cetera, et cetera, because I feel so good. I feel really confident in my clothes. I look great when I look at myself in the mirror. Because all that internal inflammation is is coming under control and that has a knock-on effect to how you feel outwardly as well. And I challenge any woman listening to us right now not or to, to deny the fact that when they pull on their slacks and the belt goes one notch tighter quite comfortably, it's not the happy dance. <laughs> it's the most satisfying <laughs> feeling ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. So they say nothing tastes, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels. And that's just, <laughs> i got to remember that one. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Before we can begin to wrap, Sue, is there anything that we haven't touched on that you think mid-age women should know or consider or think about? 
Uh, I would love to empower women to move away from constantly thinking about counting calories and restriction and thinking about focusing on nutrients and how they nourish their body. Because that is so simple. It's so simple to just focus on getting my blood sugars balanced and nourishing my body every day. And when I do that, I, I, I just feel my relationships have improved. My sleep has improved. My confidence in business has improved. How I feel in my clothes is improved. And it's such a simple thing to do. I, I work with so many women who have spent their life in a place of misery because all they were doing, all they've done is count calories and felt like they're in a place of restriction and still are still heavier than they've ever been before. And actually, when we focus on eating the right things for our body, getting our blood sugars balanced, that takes away all of that restriction, all of that calorie counting, and just empowers us to be the women that we should be rather than the women that we think we should be. And so, you know, if if you don't take anything, if your listeners don't take anything away from this call is to go, actually, get your breakfast right. And when you get your breakfast right, that has a knock on effect to the rest of the day. And you can free yourself from restriction and calorie counting for the rest of your days. And who wants to spend the rest of their days calorie counting and in a place of restriction? I don't. (laughs) Well, and, you know, for all those women who have ever said before an evening get together, oh, I can't eat that. I have a weigh in in the morning. Mm -hmm. I want them to go back and listen to this again, this whole episode again. (laughs) Now, you actually coach. Tell us about your programs. Yes. So I have um, a seven day sugar free challenge, which is designed for the woman who says, I don't even know where to start, but actually it's quite scary. I don't know how to start. And that is, that is, it's a really simple program. All we do on that program is cut out the refined sugar. So there's no complicated meal plans to follow or anything like that. It's just, we take out the refined sugar for seven days. And that's the first step. And each day, I come live on, it's done in a Facebook group and I come live and I give a little challenge each day to help keep you focused. And it just keeps the group together and it creates a really nice community. Um, so that's my seven day sugar free challenge. I also have a 21 day sugar circuit break, which is for the female that kind of knows she shouldn't eat sugar and has done it before or, or wants to kind of just make a bit of a change and needs that bit of support and help. Again, not complicated, but we do take a few steps further forward in terms of we do remove the sugar. We also remove coffee for 21 days or caffeine for 21 days and bread for 21 days. So that's a little bit deeper. And then following on from that, I have a 12 week transformation program, which you'll notice a theme here has three 21 day modules in it because I feel that 21 days work. We can cope with 21 days. We can cope with a three week period of time. And so what we do within that mod- within that 12-week program is we have 21 days where we're sugar-free and we have um, five goals to focus on each day around removing the sugar. Then we have a, a, what I call a rest week. Uh, so you can be a little bit more relaxed around the food that you're eating. And then we have 21 days focusing on sleep and taking actions around improving our sleep and another rest week. And then the last 21 days is on um Uh, hormone balancing and taking actions around improving our liver function we've already made a lot of progress through the last two 21 days anyway but the other actions you can take to help really uh, improve your hormone balance and so when you come out the other end of that program we are usually about a stone and a half lighter in control of your choices 
um, knowing exactly what to eat to nourish your body. And that program actually is lifetime access. So once you're on the program, you can stay on it long term. So you can repeat it as many times as you want to, because one of the things I felt really passionate about was I take these women through the 12 week program and then that's it. We stop, you know, and they have to go off and do it on their own. And actually, we still need more accountability. We still need that community support. We need to feel like we've got that with that group of women that have got our back. And so you can go through the program for the first time for 12, for the 12 weeks, but you stay in the group and you can go through it as many times as you want to. So I've got women in that group that are doing it, you know, two, three times. They're on they're on the third time through and they're doing it more now. They've achieved what they wanted to achieve, but they're doing it more now for that kind of lifestyle, embedding that lifestyle in rather than and so that they know that this is the way they're going to live for the rest of their life. And I'm very much about, you know, when I talk about being sugar free, I say to them, we're talking about 90% sugar free. We're not talking about never being able to have sugar again. But if you really want to make those changes, the 21 days, the each of the 21 days that we we focus on, uh, we do remove the sugar for that period of time. And then mostly when they go into a rest week, for example, they go, actually, I don't really want to bring sugar back in again because I've made so much progress. I'm quite happy with the progress I've made. So it doesn't feel like they're they're restricted. It's designed not to feel like restriction. It's designed to feel like empowerment and making choices around the foods that I want to eat rather than what I've been told to eat for years kind of thing. So, yeah, those are my three programs. They're all they're all designed to support a female to manage her hormones, to manage her menopause more naturally. I do have a four week um, four week my marvelous menopause program as well which is a slightly different program but from a sugar perspective those are the three the seven day the 21 day and the 12 week programs i don't know if i should ask this or not what is the sugar quiz oh the sugar quiz yeah <laughs> the sugar quiz is just designed it's just designed to give you an idea and you can go onto my website the sugarfreecoach.com and um you can just click the the take the sugar quiz and it's just literally a whole series of questions designed to ask you what to, to get you to answer what you're doing on a day-to-day basis around your food choices and how food is making you feel and at the end of it there's four different videos depending on the the kind of score that you got uh, and that video will the, the video appropriate to your score will tell you uh, the actions that you can take to help you start to balance your blood sugars. It's designed just to be a little bit of fun, just to see whether you've got a bit of a sugar addiction or not. <laughs> and some people take it because they're really interested to know that they haven't got one. And other people go, oh, I don't think I could take it because I'm too frightened to know, in which case they know they've got a sugar addiction. Yeah, so. yeah. <laughs> but like so many other things, um, you know, knowledge is power. <laughs> it's exactly, exactly. And it is just designed to give you those few bits of information that you can begin to apply on a day-to-day basis to help you start to, to make those changes away from, from consuming too much sugar. Good. Where do we find you on the World Wide Web? So um, the sugarfreecoach.com is my website. Uh, my Instagram is Sue Thomas underscore the sugarfree coach. And my Facebook page is Sue Thomas, the Sugar Free Coach. So there's only the only difference is the underscore on Instagram. Um, yeah, and that's how, that's how you can find me. And if anyone wants to email, my email address is sue at suethomas.org. But you can get in touch with me on my website. I do offer a free clarity call for anyone that you know for, um, that wants to just understand a little bit more. If they've done the sugar quiz and they've downloaded my free ebook on the truth about sugar and uh, are still wanting to know a little bit more about how they can begin to break their sugar addiction, then then you can book a free clarity call on my website as well. Great. 
Okay, links, as always, are in the show notes, and all the social media links are at the website. Listeners, if you have comments on today's show, please talk to us. If you're listening at twoboomerwomen.com, scroll to the bottom of the page and leave comments there. We can be found at all the usual places, Google, Apple, Spotify, etc. There's a whole bunch of them. Uh, feel free to leave comments there, and please leave stars and reviews to help us grow. Before you go, hit the subscribe or follow button, and you'll be notified about future interviews with more of my great guests. Share this episode with friends who enjoy sugar or sweet things just a bit too much. The new year is just around the corner, and they will thank you for it. My chat with Sue today is the last new guest episode of the year. Next week, I'll replay the most listened to episode of 2022, my conversation last August with Jennifer Conroy of Fluid Running. That might also be timely with a new year in the crosshairs. As always, the last episode of the year will be my review with a forward look at the coming year. Season four of this podcast is just amazing. Before we close today, I want to update you on the changes coming in 2023. I'm rebranding from Two Boomer Women to the Boomer Woman's Podcast. The 2023 season will be available under the Boom with a Bang umbrella. So you go to boomwithabang.com forward slash podcast. All the previous episodes will still be available and they'll be linked at both websites. Sue Thomas. Thank you so much for being my guest on Two Boomer Women today, for educating us on sugar and what it does to our bodies and hopefully dispelling a few myths that are out there too. Thank you so much for having me, Agnes. I really have enjoyed chatting to you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Have a great rest of week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.